Before we get the podcast going, I wanted to let you guys know that the Home Service Millionaire book is available now at homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash success. And it's for free. All you got to do is pay for shipping. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash success. And it's a hardcover copy. And I put a lot of extra things in this book. So please be sure to order your book. And I also made it available on audio. Go to homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash audio and download your own audio book. Thanks. This is the Home Service Expert Podcast with Tommy Mello. Let's talk about bringing in some more money for your home service business. Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields like marketing, sales, hiring, and leadership to find out what's really behind their success in business. Now, your host, the Home Service Millionaire, Tommy Mello. Welcome back to the Home Service Expert. My name is Tommy Mello, and I'm here with Patrick Long. Patrick is out of Indiana. He specializes in sales, scaling, recruiting, operations, and growth strategies, along with social media. And he's the president of BizPel right now, where he helps residential plumbing, heating, cooling, and electrical services, boosts their sales, profitability, customer loyalty, and basically just helps them coach all together. He used to be the contractor's friend. He was a junior trainer and a consultant. He's also been an account manager at Mr. Rooter Plumbing. Pretty strong on social media, and he's very focused on teaching contractors on flat rate residential plumbing pricing, heating, cooling, electrical services. And I'm excited to have you on, Patrick. You got a ton of knowledge. You know a lot of the same people I know, and I think we're going to get a killer show today. How's your day going? Excellent. Excellent. I'm very happy to, to be on the show and to be talking with you and uh, you know, be able to get my message out there to contractors. Yeah. You know, it sounds like you've had a lot of experience just from your dad and growing up working at the age of 11 and uh, just really hustling out there and then getting the opportunity to work in the HVAC world as long with plumbing electrical. You want to tell us a little bit about how you got there and just a little bit about your life and then we'll dive into some good questions. Yeah, absolutely. So the short and skinny, you know, the life story, if you would, I was born into contracting, right? Like you said, my dad was a career contractor. You know, I, I kind of joked that he could build a house, but he really struggled to build a business. Uh, and I feel like that's really relatable for a lot of contractors out there. But, you know, with those struggles, of course, there were financial uh, struggles with the family. And so at, at the age of 11, like you mentioned, I literally, I, I just had to start working, right? I had to start figuring out, you know, how was I going to get you know, school shoes, right, for the year. And that's kind of where it all started. But yeah, I mean, I've gone from paper routes to, you know, being a waiter to, you know, when I was just 15, I actually got started in sales uh, at a furniture store that uh, my parents tried to start up. And, but yeah, so I mean, from that age on has been, you know, a kind of never ending uh, progression of figuring it out. So yeah, I figured a lot of things out with time and with, plenty of experience, plenty of mistakes. And uh, yeah, so I'm happy to share that. So you've dealt a lot with companies from a million dollars all the way up to over a hundred million. And I'm just curious to see what you, what did you find of the, the things that you noticed about the smaller companies and what gets you to that next level? Yeah. And I know this is kind of like the cliche word, but a lot of it deals with processes and systems, right? In, in the business. And I would say, you know, over the last you know, couple of years here, 
a big difference between, you know, the small guys and the extremely large guys comes down to a couple of things. And, and that is delegation and automation, right? So, you know, the small guys, they are chucking a truck, stuck in a truck, staying in a van, I'm staying in the van. And some guys just kind of have that smaller mindset and that's all they really want to go and grow to. And, and that's fine. Uh, if they've set the goal and they've reached the goal and that's all they want to achieve, then whatever. But for other people, they, they want more, right? They want to be more, they want to do more, they want to have more. And what it takes to get from you know, one end of the spectrum to the other, uh, again, you know, comes down to systems and, and processes. And again, you know, the pieces that help to support that are either delegation. So you're hiring people and tasking them with certain responsibilities within the business, or you're automating where it makes sense, right? So as an example, you know, when I scheduled this call with you, Tommy, how many times do we go back and forth trying to figure out, you know, what time works for you, what time works for me, or any of that, right? And then as far as the follow-up process, getting the pieces of information, uh, you know, questions, uh, you know, notes, and, and so on that are going to be necessary for this conversation, preparing for the conversation, you delegated that to, you know, your assistants. So perfect example right there uh, on just a small scale. Uh, on a larger scale, you know, maybe it's uh, using different pieces of software or delegating to other agencies, you know, outside of your own company, whatever makes sense. But, you know, there's kind of the old adage that, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, right? So it takes a team, it takes, you know, building that team up uh, and finding the right people again, whether it's through, you know, internal delegation or external delegation and automating where it makes sense to streamline your processes. You know, I was just dropping a guy off at the airport, very successful businessman. And uh, I was talking to him about a financial director, kind of what we're looking at to get that in place. And I said, other than just a straight salary, what's a good bonus structure on what type of things in the, he's just said, there's things that obviously time, when are your reports coming in or are your October reports coming in at the end of November or like November 3rd. And then we talked about accuracy and uh, reporting to me is just, it's so important to make accurate decisions. But the one thing I told him is that I feel that when you're working with somebody in that department, that you really need to have checks and balances and you need to have processes. I'd rather a guy spend a whole day building an automated report than do the report for one hour each day. So let's spend two days, spend a week so that you hit a button and this report generates. And the computer software we use with Service Titan and all the other things I'm using like grow.com and, and uh, I've integrated three different softwares into Service Titan so far. And this is only the beginning. So it's all about automation, but it's all about making sure. So I have a whole data integrity team that checks each invoice. And every day, is it interesting, Patrick, I think you'll like this, is I got a guy named Pat who gets with each manager of each department. So I've got my service department, I've got my door department, I've got my CSRs, my dispatchers, and my data integrity team. And anytime there's an interdepartment mistake, it causes a chain reaction and it's a domino effect. Mm -hmm. So oh, yeah. so Pat brings me all the write-ups and most of, all, most of them usually are their first time and it's a verbal warning. And it, then it goes to Darlene to get put in their file and that's all done through Paylocity. So we've got this whole thing, this machine, 
And then there's what's called a depth chart. And that means if Pat's not here, who does it? And I got to tell you, it's not rocket science and it's not always perfect. And believe it or not, it's not about the mistakes that we make. It's about how do we handle those mistakes? And I think that's where we, we lose a lot of the people out there because a lot of people quit when you got a real asshole you're working for that's always yelling at you and only finding the wrong stuff. So what I asked Pat to do is tell me somebody that's done exceptionally well, somebody when you deal with each team manager, I want to find somebody that's improved a lot or just a spectacular day. And I want to give them gift cards as well. Because too often we just point out the negative, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I found that's a huge problem is, uh, you know, we are so overly focused on the problem and we dig ourselves into that hole that we lose sight of potential solutions, right? And that's where you've got to kind of, you know, take a step back or, if you can't remove yourself and put yourself into a third-party kind of perspective, find somebody who can attack it from a third-party perspective, right? Uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, these problems become emotional, right? And when we get emotional about this problem, we're losing our, our ability to objectively look at the problem and determine solutions, right? So that's where, like I said, it, it becomes very important to find the more solution-driven people who aren't, you know, emotionally tied to this situation or problem and develop the solution, right? Develop some thing, some process, some system that, you know, effectively resolves the issue or solves the problem and then figure out a way of replicating that. And as you were saying, it is much more cost effective in the long term and in the long run to, you know, invest more time, more energy, more resource upfront to building something that is going to to handle that process on a recurring basis via automation, right? I mean, it is it's going to be more of an investment upfront, like I said, but the return on that investment is going to pay exponentially in you know dividends by way of giving you back your time, freeing yourself from the business, and giving people more empowerment to to take a hold of these situations and solve them going forward. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more, and it's it's really thinking very hard about a problem. It's almost meditating on it. And I need a whiteboard when I do that. And I think about all the outliers out there. And I really, I study my, my outliers. I study what's being done well. And then I, I try to replicate that. And I try to automate as much as possible. And it's the ultimate goal is to be able to scale faster and be better. Now, you've had a lot of experience with, with training people. And one of the things, when I was just at a shop in Naples, Florida. They do about 50 million a year. I was lucky enough to be able to see Nextstar at work. And yeah. I talked to everybody over there. I've taken a lot of Sandler training. I'm a disc instructor. I teach people how to personally profile. And what I noticed was when I talked to them, they don't necessarily teach you how to get over objections. They teach you how to build a perfect presentation so you don't get objections. And right. It's completely different than like a, a, a Sandler training that's all about overcoming objections. And so tell me a little bit about what kind of training that you've done and what you've experienced on just options, selling financing, getting yeah. them into a service agreement, being eye contact, building rapport, educating the customer. Let's go through just some good steps that the people out there could learn from. Yeah, absolutely. I would say first and foremost, I agree with you. Uh, and I agree with uh, you know the training that you were referencing there. And it's if you can figure out how to avoid objections, you've got the problem solved, right? You, you've beaten the objection before it ever even occurs. And so, you know, a, a lot of that is 
presenting options, right? It doesn't have to be a high pressure type of presentation where, you know, a lot of people, uh, they say, you know, what we need to do is this, or you know, my recommendation is this, and kind of forcing their own opinion or their own perspective onto, you know, the customer. Uh, and that might not always be a good fit, right? Um, I'll give you an example. You know, I, I've dealt with contractors too. Uh, a lot of it is just kind of figure out, you know, who's out there and, and what are they doing and what's good and what's bad. So it kind of mystery shop, you know, companies. And, you know, I had one individual who, it's a long story short, we had a humidity issue in our house and he kind of was pointing out different things like carpet. You know, well, you guys have carpet in your house and, you know, you're taking showers and, you know, you've got a microfiber couch or whatever. And I, and I kind of challenged him on, you know, what he was saying uh, didn't really make sense. You know, he, he's attempting to say or trying to say that because we have carpet, our house is holding on to humidity. And so I kind of challenged him on it. And I said, well, you know, aren't these things present in other houses, right? Uh, isn't this kind of like a normal thing? And his response was, well, where's your HVAC license, right? What do you know about HVAC? And so that's bad, right? I mean, that's bad business. It's bad customer service. It's a bad sales presentation. Yeah, it just left a really poor taste in my mouth. And uh, yeah, so don't be that guy, right? I mean, yeah. Work, <laughs> work with customers, you know, ask them plenty of questions about what their concerns are and educate them, right? Be truthful, right? Be honest. I think that's kind of the, the basis of it is plenty of information out there. You know, obviously I'm very well connected with other HVAC contractors. I'm very close with, you know, HVACRschool.com. Uh, Brian Orr, if you're familiar, runs the podcast. Uh, for HVACR school. And so I know industry experts quite well. And I know what this guy is telling me is not truthful. And so, yeah, you don't don't expect that you're going to be able to pull the wool over people's eyes uh, like you maybe could have 20 or 30 years ago when they didn't have access to information like this at their fingertips. So anybody can do a Google search and figure out, you know, why is the humidity so high in my home? Well, your unit's probably oversized, right? it's short cycling and it's not running long enough to draw the humidity out. So, so yeah, I mean, it, that's part of it. I mean, just being truthful, being honest with people, enlighten them, don't overeducate them. Uh, and the difference there is, you know, a lot of people want to get into the technical nuts and bolts and tonnage and, you know, all sorts of different things, BTUs and this is how that works. And this is how this works. Uh, the end thing that is in uh, a customer's mind is what is the result, right? So they don't, invest in an air conditioning system because it's a two and a half ton versus a two ton or because it has 32,000 BTU versus 24 or whatever. They're investing in a central air system because they want to be cool and comfortable. And you, you see what I'm saying there? So focus on the result, not on the technical stuff. You'll lose a lot of sales if you get too bogged down in the technical stuff. But yeah, so there's, there's being truthful. There's presenting options, enlightening, you know, don't overeducate ask plenty of questions, right? I think questions are one of the, the biggest things that a salesperson can do to, you know, gain more information. Again, you know, what's important to the customer? What do they like? What do they dislike? What are their needs, right? What are their wants? And then, I don't know if you've ever heard this or not, but use silence, right? Sometimes the best thing you can do is zip it. <laughs> uh, listen, right? You know, somebody maybe throws out an objection like, oh my goodness, that's expensive. And we immediately want to roll into you know, the training that we receive says, you know, say this. And so we jump into it and, and now we're in a back and forth with the customer. But I've, you know, been on calls and, you know, this comes from my experience in doing ride-alongs, but I've been on calls where customer says, man, that's expensive. 
and you just kind of zip it, right? Maybe nod your head a little bit. And then they say, can we use a credit card, right? Or do you have financing available, right? And ideally- yeah, you heard that. He who talks first loses. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I, I would say this, uh, whoever talks next is buying, right? You're either buying that person's excuse and, and their objection, or they talk and they're, they're buying, right? But yeah, I mean, in presenting options, you mentioned it, you know, financing is huge. The cost of, you know, HVAC, plumbing, electrical services has only gone up, right? I mean, it's not going the other way. It's not decreasing. Equipment is getting more expensive. Labor is definitely more expensive. And, you know, when there was an abundance of labor and everybody was looking for a job, labor was pretty cheap, right? But the supply has dried up and now the supply it's really hard to find good guys. And so companies have to pay more. So expenses are going up and uh, naturally uh, homeowners, customers are more inclined to finance more so now than they've ever been. Uh, There's tons of statistics that are out there, but over 71% of people have less than a thousand dollars in liquid cash. Right. And using the use of credit cards has gone up. So yeah, financing is a very attractive option when you're presenting what their repair options are or what the replacement options are include, you know, a cash purchase price and a finance price, right? So not only do you have options in what we can do to resolve this issue that you are facing, we have options in how you can pay for it too. Does that make sense? hundred percent. Darius Levers taught us a lot about just at the service Titan convention is, and he wrote a part of my book on financing. You know, the problem with financing is the technician doesn't believe in it. And if you can't get the technician to get on board and buy into the parts, this morning we had a company-wide meeting and I said, guys, I I had a long discussion on listening versus hearing and then uh, active listening. And when you ask a question, just don't ask a question to ask a question. Be genuine about it. And we have several questions we ask every single customer, but to be genuinely interested in something because I had one of my guys go up there who's a field supervisor and he said, guys, I want you to spend at least 20 minutes. I want you to ask three different questions and go out afterwards and write down the ones you asked and how they responded. But I, I said, I got one caveat. I said, don't ask a question that you're not interested in. Don't talk about Harleys if you're not interested in the Harleys. There's enough in their home and in their garage and in their neighborhood. And when, when you talk to them to talk about something you're definitely interested in and it comes from practice but then, and then I do show and tell with the parts. And uh, I'm looking at a graph right now, and it's interesting because a guy sent me this and it says, here's how a $1,000 job gets distributed. 20% materials, 23% direct labor and overtime, 7% bonus or incentives, 10% indirect labor, 15% admin costs, 10% marketing, 5% equipment, the higher, and then there's 10% profit. And everybody looks at that $1,000 ticket and goes, my parts minus my labor mm-hmm. equals my profit. And that's the indirect costs add up so very, very much. It's not profit. And after you pay yourself, the company should still be being in 10 to 20%. And I agree. It's a tough concept, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, especially... I would say there's a lot of contractors start out, you know, the fly by night, you know, single man kind of operation. And in that regard, whatever the customer pays them, they're thinking, well, that goes in my pocket. Right. And then they start paying expenses and all this other stuff. And then 
slowly but surely they they end up you know starting to borrow money and then they're in a negative equity situation pretty fast. And and technicians think the same way, right? Because you hand them a paycheck every single week, right? They're thinking, well, I just get paid, right? And whatever money is received is income, but that's that's not true at all. So I think the indirect expenses, uh, you're right, are are the things that people so often overlook. And it is really kind of hard to to look at what's ugly in the business, right? It's not an attractive thing to look at, right? Expenses versus income. Income is very attractive, right? Like we all want to focus on the top line revenue. We all want to focus on money coming in from the sale. It's hard to force yourself to look at, you know, what your expenses are and ultimately what your bottom line profit is. Are you familiar? There's like penny game. This is something that we did uh, at the Mr. Reuter that I worked with. No, I've never heard of penny game. Yeah. So you take a roll of pennies, which is like, you know, the equivalent of a dollar. You have, you know, your technician, you know, one technician called up to the front of the room, right? During a company meeting or something. And, uh, you know, he gets 15 pennies, which represents, you know, your material cost or, you know, whatever it is. And and this guy gets, you know, 20 or 25 pennies and, and that represents administration costs or taxes or whatever. Do you see what I'm saying there? At the end of it, there's one there's one guy holding the profit and you go, here's what the company made. Exactly. Yeah. And that is referred to as a reduction to ridiculous, right? The company didn't make a penny, right? As in like, that's all they ever made, but it reduces things to the ridiculous and helps the technician to buy in on, on the pricing, right? So when they're asking, they're not actually asking for a thousand dollars, they're asking for one or 10% of that. They're thinking of the penny. They're not thinking of the thousand dollars, so we reduce that. things down to, yeah. So reduce it down to a ridiculously small scale. I will say that's one step towards getting in on financing. The other thing that you know, as far as getting people to buy in on finance, the other thing that I've I've done personally is you know have a conversation with the technician who is so against financing and start asking you know, some questions. Just do you have a vehicle? Out of curiosity. Tommy, do you do you have I have a vehicle. You do. Uh, a vehicle, or do you own it outright? I own my truck outright. <laughs> okay, you probably have other vehicles, though, right? I mean, I, I have a house. Oh, I have the oh my my company vehicles. I make. I'm on a payment plan. At least to own them. There you go. Exactly. There you go. So so you have vehicles, and and traditionally, typically, when you're talking to technicians they're going to have a vehicle, more than likely it's going to be financed, right? So you're going to say, oh, okay, so you make a payment on that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. What about your insurance that goes along with the, do you just pay for that one payment every single year? Or do you have like a lifetime membership with insurance or do you make a monthly payment on that? So, oh, I make a monthly payment, right? What about your house, right? I mean, do you own your house outright or mortgage. do you have a monthly mortgage? mortgage? Yep. You got a monthly mortgage, right? You got a monthly payment. Okay. So a lot of things happen over payments. Is it easier for you to budget all of those expenses all at once? Or is it easier for you to budget those expenses on a monthly basis? Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah, no, I got you 100%. It, it, it really brings a lot more that makes sense. I got these, th- this thing that explains the work life of a technician. And I want to go through it with you. Sure, yeah. And I think it'll, be, it'll really help out people understand why flat light pricing is anywhere from $350 an hour to $600 an hour. So this 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 whole scenario that you go through and it goes through everything and you could actually put in all the numbers 
And it shows you how you get to these numbers and it's super cool. But the workday, a workday in the life of a tech. 8 to 8.30, arrive at the shop and schedule the day return calls. 8.30 to 9, pick up the material at co-op. 9 to 9.30, call first customer and travel to job. 9.30 to 11, arrive at job and sell one hour of service. 11 to 11.30, return pages, call the next customer, travel to job. 11.30 to 1.30, arrive at job, sell two hours of work. 1.30, you take your lunch, take a late lunch at 2 o'clock to 2.30, return more calls, restore truck at supply house. 2.30 to 3.45, travel to the next customer, sell one hour of work. Return to the workshop, more calls, meet with yellow page rep, handle price complaint, go home. So technically, you're only getting a third of your utilization rate. So you got to charge customers. He's working the whole time to get your stuff. So people don't understand that. I see a lot of these Facebook groups. And the problem I have with these Facebook groups is it's one man running his own calls all the time. And usually, or it's three to five. And trust me, when you got three to five guys, you barely have any office staff. You don't have the, the office burden. You, but you have a right. tiny warehouse if you're not working out of your own home. It's not a business. You don't own a business. You own a job. And yeah, you own a job. Yeah, you're self-employed. And, and the difference is, yeah. You can't walk in there. There's nobody there to greet customers when they walk in. So you're comparing apples and oranges is my my main thing I want to explain here. Is you hear these people go, they rip people off. And I'm like, man, if I do 30 minutes, I want to make 15%. I mean, 15% is not very, it's not over the top. And I, I just feel like the people go, how could you charge people that? But they have no idea where they charge. There's a good book by Alan Rohr called Where Did the Money Go? And it's just, if you set it up and you write in all your expenses and what you understand now is indirect costs. And I talked about this the other day, Patrick, but think about this. For my inventory, which is probably the biggest obstacle for most people is taxes and inventory, is I have to pay the building. I have to pay the rent insurance if anything gets stolen. I have to pay for all the stuff in there that that I lock up, that I got all these cabinets and, and shelving and everything else. I also have the big warehouse piece. I also have the alarm company and the cameras I pay. I also have within there the air conditioning bill, the swamp cooler bill. I also have the guys that work overtime. I pay for their insurance, their health insurance. I pay for their taxes or at least half of their taxes. I also pay for the truck they drive in, the insurance for the truck. I also pay for the shrinkage, which is theft. I also pay for the spoilers. Yeah, Batteries go bad when I'm holding on to my own inventory. Shit goes bad. You add it all up. And I'm telling you, you're spending a fortune. So I used to think, man, if I buy a thousand of these widgets at that price, that's how much I'm paying for that, that widget. Well, no, it's not even close. Add about another 50% out of that widget at least. And that's why people talk about just in time. They talk about going lean. They talk about in manufacturing, talk about Six Sigma and all that. But what are your thoughts? I mean, where did the money go? You know, these small companies, they wonder why they can't grow and their booking rates are garbage. You know, there's no plan on how they're going to do checks and balances within their company. They're handling all the phone calls and everything. Yeah, and I was going to say, you you referenced the book from Ellen and, and there's another book that she wrote, How Much Should I Charge? And that's a really great place to get started, right? And uh, I would say this, the number one reason, or there's several reasons, right, that contractors struggle to grow. But one reason is they are not priced 
to grow, right? They are priced to cover their immediate expense, you know, a relatively short period of time. They're starting to borrow money, right? Because of shrinkage or loss or unforeseen expenses or other indirect costs, right? They're starting to borrow to cover that. And then, like I said earlier, they very quickly end up in a very negative equity type situation. So it's important to price yourself to grow and understanding, you know, what your direct costs are, what your indirect costs are, and making sure that you're asking for enough money to cover all of the above, right? And the future growth that you plan uh, within the business. So, you know, I, I talk with technicians all the time. Yeah, I learn a lot about what their perspective is and and for them personally, you know, asking for several hundred dollars an hour feels like too much. But they're not they're not taking into account the expenses of the business and that's where, you know, uh, we talked about the penny game, right? Getting them to do that exercise helps them to understand more of what the business has to pay for and ignorance is bliss, right? They're just totally unaware of this. But it also helps to reduce things to the ridiculous where, you know, we're not asking for, you know, several hundred dollars an hour. We're asking for pennies, right? An hour. That's what we're asking for. But yeah, to to the point you made in, you know, what you're referencing there, there is so much opportunity that's lost. You know, throughout the day, your technician's working eight hours or 10 hours a day, but he's only selling a couple hours, right? He's really only on the job for, you know, a couple few hours. And that, that's your efficiency rate. You know, how many hours are we billing versus how many hours are we, are we uh, being billed, in essence, uh, via the technician? So the other consideration is, you know, there's a lot of callback issues. You know, guys have to get called back on a job or, you know, whatever that might be. Or you're on one side of town doing this call and you can't be on the other side of town doing, you know, a new garage door installation, as an example. So there's a lot of lost opportunities as well. And, and that's, that's a cost of doing business just as much as, you know, your material costs or your insurance as an example. Yeah, I agree completely. I think one of the biggest things that you said is, here's a little drill that I give people is every 15 minutes, write down what you're doing and you'll realize how much fires you're putting out and how much little time you're putting on the business. Instead, you're working in it and right. do this for a couple of weeks and really start identifying where you could be more efficient. Efficiency is the ultimate. And when you do this with technicians, remember one thing. I always say you want to keep Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, but not, not on the bench. You don't want him sitting. So think about your best technicians with the least warranty calls, with the best conversion rates, all the metrics, the best customer satisfaction. And look at your dispatchers and figure out a way. And what I'd like to share here, a couple more podcasts down the line, is... I'm coming up with formulas that'll pay every single position on performance or yeah. they'll make minimum wage. And how do you keep that A player utilized more often? So rather than saying, I'm going to run this guy to all my best opportunities, but he's windshield time, he's waiting for customers, that best technician or those best guys you have or gals are going to be better off utilized inside of the garage or inside of the home on the AC unit or working on that electrical box. So figure out a way to get them less drive time, figure out a way to call customers ahead. And it's a lot of work to get a great dispatcher. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. But if you get the right one, you're talking about a six-figure swing for that technician a year, all day long. Six figures by just being good at optimizing and efficient. 
Does that make Absolutely. sense to you? Absolutely. Yeah. So and I would definitely like to learn or uh, to stay in the loop with you on your plan, right. To, to automate that, right. The optimization. And there's a lot of different theories that are out there on, on, you know, who gets what call and when, and obviously it makes sense, put your best technician on the best opportunities. You wouldn't send your worst uh, water heater repair plumber to try to go close a new water heater. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, well, you always want to have your best guy on the best call. Yeah, and that makes that makes sense unless your perception of a great call. So let, let, let me give you an example. I get a spring job that breaks, in, and I don't know if you know Phoenix, but I get a spring job that breaks in Cave Creek. And then mm-hmm. I've got another job for a remote call in Scottsdale. You would think I want to send the guy that's converting, the guy with a good average ticket, all that stuff over to the Cave Creek. But after doing a little bit more research, I noticed this Scottsdale home, I do a Google Street View. I noticed they have four doors. I noticed when I talked to the lady, she said those genies are 15 years old. Ooh. It's a better opportunity to send my guy out there because I know the average income. I know their credit score because that gets reported to me. I've got all these tools to say, look, now I don't need to go sell anything, but I do need to give them options because she might right. want the new LiftMasters that have that they open and close from your cell phone. She might want her doors. They might have never got tuned up. She might have bad bottom rubbers on four different doors. They could be wood overlay and they could be heavy as heck. But the problem is it's really hard to say. There's so many things. Every opportunity is an opportunity in a garage door. I know they're a little bit different with HVAC and electrical and plumbing. Mm-hmm. So it's a different, it's, it's apples and oranges. But let's talk about CSRs for a minute. Like right now we rolled out a new plan. They get paid on... Uh, attendance, first of all. Second of all, is interdepartment errors. So we set up a survey monkey, and I've got a third party listening to 10% of the calls and guessing checking, especially the negative ones. The next one is the booking rate, where they get a huge lump sum if they book over 90% per call. And then you could either get paid minimum wage, or my top person would have made, and then I look at the cancellation rate, but my top person would have made about 35 bucks an hour in my call center. And uh, the bottom ones would have made minimum wage. So it's just something that is right. worth thinking about. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And, and, and I'll say this. I mean, A-plus a players, they want that opportunity, right? Like, they, they don't want to be bridled, right? I mean, they don't want to be re- restrained to, you know, you make 10 bucks an hour or you make 20 bucks an hour or whatever it is. Like, put me in, coach. Like, I, I want to play. You know what I mean? And so I, I think it's a, it's a great idea. And in fact, the company that I worked for, uh, they went to that uh, same model. They offered bonuses, right, to their best performing CSRs based on, you know, booking percentage, based on, you know, cancellation rates, based on, I mean, all of the above, right? So similar type setup. They had an hourly rate that was guaranteed, but they had bonus opportunities based on their performance metrics. But not only does that, you know, create a culture that attracts, you know, those, those A-plus players, but you know you're going to weed out the bottom feeders, right? The the people they're not going to be happy doing that job for minimum wage, right? You're going to weed those. That's people the out goal. You want you want risk and reward, and the deal is that's why I don't give a bonus. Mine is one or the other. You either get whichever is more. You get this incentive program, or you get minimum wage. Whereas right. if you take minimum wage and bonus on that, they're always going to make more than minimum wage because there's nothing to penalize them down. So my way breeds swimmers. They're, they're not going to sink. So right. I'm not saying that I'm a genius or anything because I'll tell you, my, my call center manager, Angela, came up with it. And I, I was just 
blown away. And it's amazing when you get a good team together and what you could do. But uh, I think that uh, you guys specialize. I was looking at your site and I know all about your recruiting stuff. Uh, yeah. Tell me a little bit about how all that works and what, how you get great players. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, there's a number of things that uh, you want to consider and, and be aware of when, when you're looking at A players. Look, I mean, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, you know, Ryan Levesque, right? Ask, but ask works great in marketing. Ask works great in uh, recruiting and, and getting to know your own team as well, right? So the idea here is if you really want to know what makes A players tick, ask right? Just simply ask them questions, get to know them, right? What do they desire? What do they like? What do they dislike? What are they looking to do? And, and what are they likely doing now? Right? So are you familiar with that method by chance? Yeah, I have the book and he was on my podcast too. Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there you go. Yeah. So ask, right? I mean, it's not just a marketing thing. It, it's, it's recruiting and it's, it's everything. Right. But yeah. And I don't know if, you've seen any of my other presentations or, or heard any other you know, podcast interviews and stuff, but I always say recruiting really is marketing. Uh, it is. You know, yeah. hundred percent. It is. It absolutely is. So, you know, the, the core pieces and, and functions of uh, recruiting are the same for marketing, right? You have to understand who it is that you're speaking to, what it is they need to hear, right? What's going to motivate them. That's an important part of this. You know, what are they motivated by? And you ultimately have to figure out how, you can reach them, right? What are your opportunities to reach them? So uh, just kind of giving you an example, you know, A plus players are not likely, you know, looking for work, right? They're more than likely they, you know, they are where they're at and they're actively working. And yeah, so using sites like Indeed or Craigslist, <laughs> don't go Career to Craigslist. Builder, but, Monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, I got them all, yeah. They're yeah. Not, you're not going to get the A players off of that unless they just moved here. Yeah, I mean, by some sort of freak chance, maybe, but typically, you know, those sites are catering to job seekers, right? People who are looking for jobs, and that's not the A player, typically. So how do you get in front of them then, right? You have to be looking for them, right? So part of, you know, marketing could be, you know, networking, right? Getting yourselves in front of the right people and networking, you know, could mean, you know, working with your own team members, right, to, to find referrals. Who do they know? Who do they like? You know, who's similar to them, that kind of thing. But yeah, so I mean, understand they're not looking for you. You've got to go out there and look for them. They're probably not going to be on Indeed, right? So you can find good technicians. You can find, you know, good laborers through sites like that. You know, guys who are looking to switch jobs or get into the field or whatever it might be. But, you know, your top level A-plus players, you're going to have to be actively hunting them down. But yeah, so, and that's where you can, one, invest your time and do that yourself, or you can, you know, hire somebody to do that. I don't know if you ever hired a headhunter for your business, but they are pretty expensive, right? I definitely think the main thing that you should do is I've got a, um, I've got a text system that I can just tell the guy to text the number, then he gets in a drip campaign if I see a busboy. But you got to learn how to make technicians. You can't expect to get them off, take somebody's somebody else's great guys do you think you're just going to go steal all your great people that's wrong i think you got to be able to make them yeah absolutely i was gonna say yeah so it's, it's not just about finding them and attracting them but you know you've also got to develop you know a good retention strategy right treat it just like marketing right i mean you wouldn't invest a ton of money in marketing to go find customer leads and then do nothing right to develop 
that lead into an actual sales opportunity while also you know looking at you know the back end of retaining that person as a customer with longevity do you, do you see what i'm saying there it's exactly the same thing from marketing to recruiting you know they're very 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 similar operations of the business um, oh yeah i agree yeah but i i would say this i mean things that you can do to you know attract a plus players you know everybody talks about culture right but creating a performance culture is is one really good way of attracting a plus players again you know they don't want to be bridled right they don't want to be confined and, and told you know what their value is right they want to determine their own value right and if they're working at a company who's saying, you know, hey, we're only going to pay you 35, 35 bucks an hour or 25 bucks an hour or whatever it is. They may be looking, right, or interested, I should say, in an opportunity that is going to offer them more, right? Offer them, you know, an unlimited commission-based income, you know, more freedom, right? Time at home, you know, work-life balance is a huge motivator with these guys. You know, why should I have to work 40 hours a week when I produce three times as much as my coworker in half the amount of time. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think time's a huge motivator. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Time, money, uh, sometimes it's just, it's recognition in front of the group. There's a yep. lot of motivating factors. You know, I, um, Patrick, I want to have a part two with you because I feel like we're, we're only getting into this right now, <laughs> barely. Yeah. But I got to yeah, go. I was gonna say, maybe just focus on the recruiting side of things. and. Uh, yeah. yeah, we the, get the question the whole recruiting side. Let, let me ask you this. Um, is there any books that you really recommend for the listeners out there? By the way, while you're thinking about that, I am going to sign on this new building right now. So the reason I have to cut it a little short, which I hate to do, I love these things to keep going because it's it's like counseling for me, but uh, super excited about that. But we're going to have a part two and it's going to be amazing. So, but do you recommend uh, any any books or anything like that to the listeners out there? Yeah, I, I love. There's a couple. How to win friends and influence people is is a Napoleon huge Hill, one. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Daniel uh, Carnegie has one that is, uh, you know, more of like the modern, you know, digital age type stuff. Yeah, I mean that's a huge one. I mean, if they haven't read the book, I mean it's it's more than what it sounds, right? But it's really kind of the psychology of what people like and how you can, you know, really connect with people. And that is extremely beneficial, whether it's, you know, internal relationships within the company uh, with the people that are on your team and, and people that you're working with or external relationships with customers and creating, you know, more customer loyalty, but also it, it's extremely effective in your, you know, of course, your sales and your recruiting, which, I mean, like I said earlier, recruiting is very similar to marketing. And uh, at some point in time in your recruiting and hiring process, you've got to sell them on the job, right? And so being able to influence the person and uh, connect with them and sell them that job is, is really extremely valuable. Perfect. Well, listen, I want to, let's set up another time for next week, brother. I appreciate you jumping on and I got, I got a lot out of this. This is just getting, just getting juicy too, man. <laughs> yeah. Just scratching the surface. I mean, really I, there's a lot that, uh, I'd like to to be able to share with people on uh, the recruiting aspect of things. And of course you've been made well aware. I mean, we've been able to, I wouldn't say that I would say this. I mean, there's no magic bullet, right? Uh, no magic bullet solution for any problem that you might be facing in your business. You know, 
marketing, if you were trying to stand on one leg in marketing, you'd ultimately fail, right? Uh, recruiting is no different, right? I mean, it really is a multifaceted operation of the business. You're going to have to to look at things from different angles and and try different things and and try more than one thing, right? Obviously, so yeah, we're in that regard. I mean, we're just barely scratching the surface on on what uh, what value could be shared there. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and get Erica to set up another time next week, and we'll uh, we'll jump back on. Awesome, sounds really good. Hey, man, I appreciate you. I want to talk to you a lot more, too, about uh, training and getting my A1 stuff set up. So, Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be All excellent. Right. And, awesome. and best of luck to you. Congratulations on signing the uh, Yeah, the thanks, man. I'm, I'm just heading out. So I'll get in touch with you, and we'll get, we'll get to part two going. Excellent. All right. Thanks, All right. Tommy. Thank you. All right. Take care. Hey, guys, I really appreciate you tuning into the podcast. I wanted to let you know that my book is available right now on Amazon. It's called The Home Service Millionaire. That's homeservicemillionaire.com. Just go to the website. It'll show you exactly where and how to buy the book. I poured two years of knowledge into this book, and I had 12 contributors, everybody from the COO at HomeAdvisor to the CEO of Valpac, and, of course, Ara, the CEO of Service Titan. It tells you how to have the right mindset and become a millionaire and think like a millionaire. It goes into exactly how to turn on lead generation. Have those phones ringing off the hook for the customers that you want to be calling where you can make money and get great reviews. It also goes into simple things like how to attract A players. Listen, if you want a great apple pie, you need to buy good apples and you need to know where to buy those apples. And it also talks about simple things like knowing how to keep the score. You should have your financial check every week. You should know exactly what's coming in and out of your account. You should know when to cut advertising that's not working. And more than anything, you should know how to cut employees that aren't making it for you. Listen, you might have a big heart, but this book is going to show you how to make decisions built on numbers. I hope you pick up the book, and I really appreciate everything. I hope you're having a great day. Tune in next week. Thank you.